Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. Uh, I think it was like almost exactly 18 years ago that we started doing a service in this room on Sunday evenings, like at about 5.30, and I was a dude who had just gotten married and was in a rock band and thought I would just come play guitar here for a couple months. There is no way a single thing happening right now I could have imagined (laughs) happening 18 years later. Uh, When we started that 18 years ago, this is about how many people were with us. That served literally, it was about like this for quite a while. So um, this actually, as different as it is, it actually feels kind of familiar and comfortable to me. So glad y'all are here. Um, We have been working through uh, this series since Easter on our values and our direction as a church. And you have been hearing us say this many times, and you're going to keep hearing us say this until we hear you say it many times, that First Pres Kingwood is both a gathered and sent church, that our purpose comes straight from Scripture, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Our mission also comes straight from the words of Jesus. Go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we started sharing with you these five values that the session adopted, that we believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. Now, we still have a week or two to discuss the mission focus, and we have yet to get to the idea of gospel-fluency. But we need to take a break in this series. And we need to take a break because our culture, there's there's just been a bit of an interruption. Um, Things happen. Um, Our chaotic world continues to go around. And we, as a church, need to be ready to respond to what's happening in our world with the gospel. Uh, So last week, uh, if you were watching last week, uh, we looked at Micah 6. Micah had an indictment, God's indictment, and his verdict against Israel. And he judged them for forgetting to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. And we saw last week that they were so focused on their religion, on doing things that they thought would win God's favor, that they forgot their purpose and their mission as the people of God. So starting last week with Micah's words, we need to have a conversation as a church about what it means to be the people of God, about biblical justice, and about the culture in which we live. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to let the words of the Old Testament prophets and the words of Jesus disciple us through this really difficult time in our country. And if you watched last week, I really hope that you picked up that this conversation is not political. It's not. It's theological. And theological conversations can never be just rhetorical or theoretical. They are always most of the time, painfully practical. So today, I want to read another difficult passage from one of Israel's prophets. Pretty much everything 
the prophets of Israel have to say is difficult. Uh, Last week, like I said, we heard from the prophet Micah. He was a prophet in the south, and he condemned the people for focusing on worship and sacrifices rather than justice and mercy. So today we're going to read from the prophet Amos. Amos was a prophet in the north. He came before Micah. And I want you to hear what he has to say about Israel's worship and about what God really expects from them. And I want to warn you, this is tough. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is difficult, but this is the word of God. And thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Um, Father, I, I can only imagine uh, 2,500 years ago or so when these words were first spoken, how they must have shocked your people. Afraid that in the past 2,500 years, these words have become less shocking because we don't think that they're about us. So God, I pray that tonight that you would help us to understand your justice, that you would help us to understand what that means in light of what's happening around us and that you would teach us just the next small step that we need to take so that we can truly be called the people of God. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen. Now, if you've studied the book of Genesis or Revelation, if you are a part of my 100-day Bible reading group, you will know without a doubt the number seven is really important in Scripture. It's the biblical number for completion. Creation was completed in how many days? Good job. You guys passed the test. Well done. It's a number for completion. It's a number for totality. I want you to look at how many acts of worship God points out in this passage. How many different things God says, get away, get away, get it away from me. He says, away with your festivals, away with your assemblies, your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, your fellowship offerings the melody of your songs, and the instruments of your praise. Now, these are all common elements that you would find in a place that's bustling with activity. You find them today in a thriving church. But the truth is, commotion about God is not the same thing as communion with God. You see, Amos is listing seven elements of worship because God is completely rejecting every aspect of Israel's worship. And you have to remember, these are things that he specifically told them to do. But now he's rejecting it because their worship is coming from a place of corruption and injustice. I mean, I can only imagine from God's perspective how terrible it must be for a father to reject the adoration of his children. And it's important to know this is not like sweet, innocent children who want to adore their father and he's just rejecting them. That's not what's happening here. You see, their worship was no longer about repentance and obedience. Their worship was no longer about glorifying the one who freed them from slavery, the one who delivered them into the promised land. Their worship was no longer about God. It was all about them. They were more interested in enhancing their own social status, in improving their own self-esteem. They were focused on becoming their best self 
not on becoming children of the living God. God rejected their worship because they were really worshiping themselves. Now, there's another reason he rejected their worship, and just like we saw with Micah last week, this reason isn't based on something they did. It's based on what they didn't do. While they were playing their religious games one day a week, God was enraged by what they were doing with the other six. And just like Micah, God reminds them of what a seven-day faith, what a full seven-day-a-week faith looks like, a complete faith. And he reminds them of what that faith looks like once again by calling them to justice and righteousness. So in two weeks, we've heard from two prophets, Micah and Amos, both of them rejecting Israel's worship and calling God's people to return to God's original plan for them, to be a just people, to be a people who do justice. So that's a big word. Let's talk about justice. If we're going to understand what it means to be the people of God, to be doers of justice, then we have to understand justice on God's terms and not ours. This picture, uh, this picture comes to my mind when I think about justice in our society, pretty common picture. And there are many good things about our understanding of justice. It very well might be the most just system of justice the world has ever known, but it still falls short of God's justice. This picture, uh, in many ways, it shows us the goal of our system, to be blind and to find balance and calm. The problem is, sometimes that is achieved at the expense of truth and justice. I was talking with a friend this morning, he practiced law for 32 years. He eventually left his law practice to become an electrician because he couldn't handle it anymore. And he shared, me, shared with me uh, that in all the trial work he did, and these are his words, he said, never once did a person walk into my office with a bag of money and say, let's go get justice. He said, they always walked in with a bag of money and said, let's go win. See, our system might be designed to find justice, but the problem is us. We want to win. I mean, how many people just walk into the police station, confess what they've done, accept their verdict, their sentence, and go serve their time? That's incredibly rare. We don't do that. We fight. We appeal. We say only what we have to say, and we do everything we can to keep from telling the truth. Because we're not interested in the truth. We're not really interested in justice. We are interested in self-preservation. In fact, we are so disinterested with the truth that sometimes we are willing to plead guilty to something we didn't do if it'll give us a lesser punishment. Now look, I don't mean to be cynical. I I think I'm just being honest. Our system works for you if you know how to work the system. If you know someone. If you can afford it. And I know these are generalizations. There are sweet, kind, loving people who are fighting every day for true justice within this system. I know they're getting lumped in with the bad. There are some people who are fighting hard for what's right, and I'm grateful to God for them. But in general, our system works for those who have the power to work it. And that's how we want it to work for us. Not let's go get justice, but let's go win. That's how we want it for us. 
Unfortunately, that's not how we treat others. I think we have officially shifted from an innocent until proven guilty society to one that's ready to crucify and convict as soon as there's even an allegation. And this is not a statement on the officer that killed George Floyd. You can't argue against video evidence. It's clear what happened there. But in our culture, with even less than video evidence, you can be effectively convicted by the media in such a way that could prevent you from having a fair trial. And we would never tolerate that happening to us or to somebody that we love, but we watch as it's knowingly done to others all the time. You see, we have taken a just idea, a balanced system that's designed to work equally for everyone based on evidence, and we have perverted it. We've manipulated it to work for us. That's not what God's calling us to do. God is calling us to understand biblical justice and to take that biblical justice that we preach on Sundays and live it Monday through Saturday. You see, what you need to know about justice in Hebrew is that it's a verb, it's a doing, it's something you do, it's a practice, it's not an idea, it's not a philosophy, it's not theory, it's work. Biblical justice is not a blind set of scales that seeks calm and balance. Amos told us what it is. It's a flowing river that causes disruption. It cuts away the ground. It washes away impurities. It's active and alive. It's surging and churning. It's a cleansing stream. It's life-giving. It's life-sustaining. That's the imagery behind that Hebrew word. A wild and raging river, a torrent of water that's powerful enough to destroy anything that gets in its way, but it brings with it life and hope. It upsets injustice so that there can be true peace. It's just like C.S. Lewis said about the lion Aslan, right? Real justice is dangerous, but it's good. So what does it look like when God's people exercise this kind of justice in the world? One author says it this way. He says, justice is the expected response of God's people to what God has done for them. That we see biblical justice when God's people do for others what God has done for them. And you see this pattern all throughout Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament. Listen and remember what the Lord has done. Then go do likewise. God frees his people from slavery in Egypt. That story comes before any law or any command in the Old Testament. In Exodus 20, before we get the Ten Commandments, it's preceded by the reminder that God is the one who delivered them out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make false idols. This idea extends into the New Testament. The book of Romans itself the first 11 chapters, they're focused on outlining the gospel of Jesus. 11 chapters that tell us what God has done in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 12, chapter 12 begins with one of the most important transition words in all of scripture. Therefore, because of what I've told you in chapters 1 through 11, therefore, now in chapters 12 through 16, Paul makes the argument, because of what God has done in Christ, you should live with God and with one another in a particular way. Paul structures his letter to the Ephesians, the letter to Colossians, it's the same thing. There's a reminder of what God has done in Christ, 
and then there's instructions on how we're supposed to live in response. But I think one of the simplest and the most profound descriptions of this principle that we are to live and move in response to what God has done for us first, it's found in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. So what's interesting to me, if we are to do to others what God has done to us, it's interesting to me to think about what God did. And this helps us to get to our so what for today. Notice this in Genesis 2. Uh, God makes the man, right? And he watches the man work in the garden and live life. And he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God had to be watching. He had to see the man. He had to notice what was going on in his life. And as he did that, he recognized a problem. He recognized that the life of the first human, there was something wrong. And he acted in response. He created the woman. God looked and recognized a problem and did something about it. And then in Exodus 3, the Lord says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God saw their misery, and he heard their cries. He didn't have to do anything about it. He's living in perfect holiness, seated on his throne. He could have just let it all play out. But when he saw their misery, when he heard their cries, he got down in the dirt and he did something about it. And in doing so, he turned misery into mercy. He turned slavery into freedom. He took what we meant for evil and he used it for good. One final thing about biblical justice, we've seen that it's like a raging river, that it's dangerous, but it's good. We've seen that it's evident when God's people are doing for others what God has done for them. The third piece of this, if we are to be doers of justice the way that God requires, we must be a people who will advocate for the powerless in our society. And I said this last week over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, the word justice is tied to advocacy, it's a hard word to say, advocacy, for the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the elderly. In that culture, in that time, those groups were powerless to defend themselves. So who's powerless to defend themselves in our time? I think right now, today, in our context, the African-American community, they are telling us that they are unheard, that they feel powerless and alone. And what we are watching play out is our culture making up its mind. Will we listen? Will we act when we see real injustice? Will we listen for the truth or have we already decided? Have we already come to a verdict about their plight? Will we look and will we see them? Are we willing to jump into that raging river and fight to purify what's broken in our system and in our culture? Or will we put on the blindfold? And just try to balance the scales. Maybe if we wait long enough, we can wait them out, they'll be quiet again, and things can go back to normal. We've done that before. How can we be a just people in the midst of all the injustice around us? How do we let justice roll like a mighty river in a world that just wants us to be quiet and go with the flow? 
And look, I'm not here throughout any of this to point the finger at anybody. So um, I'd have to start with me. And I have to start by learning how to listen. Because the truth is, I don't know what to say about racism and violence in our society. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel prepared to act. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about the injustice today. So I'm learning to listen. What do I need to do in my life so that I can begin to listen for the truths that I may have been hesitant to hear? How can I change my thinking so that I can really discern the truth in a world that's full of the noise of half-truths and lies? So, here's a practical so what for us uh, for this week. Um, For the past few weeks, since the death of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and now George Floyd, I have been trying to listen. And if I'm honest with you, I have found that my mind has been full of a lot of buts. But not all police are evil. It's absolutely true. But all lives matter. Of course, that's true. But the problem with those buts is that they're designed to end the conversation. They're designed to put our foot down to shut down the possibility of a back and forth that might actually lead to two sides better understanding one another. So I've been wondering, uh, maybe I can stop using the word but. Maybe if I just stop saying the word but every time, maybe that'll help me listen. So I decided to try to hold my butts. (laughs) Um, But I can't. And what I've realized over the past couple of weeks, I don't think our language even works without that word. I don't, I don't know that there's a way not to use it. So instead, I thought, maybe there's another plan. Maybe instead of just getting rid of it, maybe instead of cancel culturing the word but, maybe we can redeem it. What if instead of holding my butts, what if I simply just watch my butts instead? What if I learn how to pay close attention to what I'm saying before and after the word but and consider if maybe I need to flip them? Now look, this isn't about what you should go post on social media. I'm not trying to give you tools for what to say in a debate. This is literally personally for me, it's an inner dialogue that I'm having with myself, resetting my heart on certain issues because I do wanna hear the truth. And maybe if I can train myself to invite information to not shut down conversations, but to encourage them, then maybe I'll be able to recognize the truth. Maybe I'll be able to hear and see more clearly the injustice wherever it is. And then I'll be ready to trust the Holy Spirit to tell me what to do about it. And the truth is, what I'm talking about, this is nothing more than putting into action not only the words of the prophets, but the words of Philippians too. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Do y'all understand how upside down that is in our culture? Like for real, that's nonsense. In our culture, what I just read is nonsense. And we have to choose. Are we obedient to our culture or are we obedient to the kingdom of God? In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. So for me, watching my butts means to flip what came last and now make it first. Um, So like in my home, um, just a simple example, 
uh, when you know my sweet wife uh, needs me to do something. Jennifer, I know that you're stressed out and you really need me to take the kids to their activities tonight, but I'm stressed out too, and I'm pretty sure I have more work to do than you. <laughs> I really need to watch my butt on that one, right? Um, so what if, I, what, if I flip, what if I flip them? What if I just say, I'm really stressed out and I have a ton of work to do, but I don't want that for you too. So let's sit down and look at our week and see if we can find ways to take pressure off each other. Maybe a couple weeks ago, I would have said George Floyd's killing was tragic, but 99% of the police officers are good. Watching my butt, now I can say 99% of the police officers are good, but that imposter who killed George Floyd was evil, and George and his family deserve justice. That doesn't end a conversation, it invites one. And then maybe we can have a productive conversation about fixing the problem. Not overreacting and just getting rid of the police, but working together to seek justice. Look to get rid of other imposters in that line of work, get them onto some other job so that this doesn't happen anymore. For my friends who hear the slogan, Black Lives Matter, and they want to respond, but all lives matter. If we watch our butts, we would say instead, all lives matter. But right now, especially right now, the black community matters, and they need to hear that from us. I've been doing this for a couple weeks, watching my butts in that particular situation. It changed my thinking, and it led me, I think, to an even deeper truth. And I did share this one on social media. Uh, black lives don't just matter. They are beloved, they're needed, and they're valued. Black lives are treasures, absolute gifts from God, and should always be treated as such. Watching my butt changed the way I think. Probably like many of you, I've gone into the last couple of weeks not really knowing what to think about what's happening, not knowing what to think about injustice and systemic racism. And I will own my own shame for that. But I have learned over the past couple of weeks, and not from politicians, not from celebrities, not from media personalities, not from rioters, and not from looters. I have learned from friends who are deep in this. And most importantly, I've learned from scripture that these issues are real. And I need to take them to the foot of the throne. I need to take them to God so that he can guide my steps as I move forward in this. He and I need to wrestle this out. And I need to listen. So I just offer that to you because maybe you want to join me in training yourself to learn how to hear the plight of the powerless, whoever they are, whenever this happens. How can we hear the plight of the powerless even though we're in a culture that's trained us to fight to have the last word? I think this is what scripture is asking of us. Micah and Amos, they are imploring the people, avoid the destruction and the chaos that's coming if you would just listen and remember. Listen to the Lord, remember what he's done, and go do the same. And you can avoid the chaos and destruction in this world. We'd be wise to listen to the words of the prophets because they are the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we know that you're present with us in this. Um, 
in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of racism and violence and all the other injustices that we know are present in this world. We know that you're here. We know you're in the midst of it. Help us to be convinced by your scriptures that there's something that we're supposed to be doing about it. Help us to really discern what that is so that we just don't jump into one side or the other, that we're just not more noise, that we're not picking sides, but we're choosing to look for the truth. So please, Holy Spirit, open our minds and give us the power and the courage to see the truth where we find it and to fight for it, to hear, to hear the cries of those who are oppressed to not immediately judge whether we think they're really oppressed or not, but just to listen, to love, to trust, and be ready if you guide us to do something about it. Now be with this church, with this community, with this city, with our nation, and with the world, because you are our only hope. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.